Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, it is another in our series on the end of the decade. It's a special episode. We're not doing our usual format. We are following up last week's episode on the best films of 2019 with an episode on the best films of this entire decade. The last 10 years honestly an amazing decade as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I I don't do a good enough job of going back and watching older classic movies. I need to. I'm, I'm planning on doing a lot to force myself to do it. But that being said, movies from this decade, I am into them. I have watched a lot of them. I love them. It was actually pretty damn hard to make this list, to be honest. That's how many movies I wanted to squeeze into this. Uh, but it was a great fun uh thing to try to attempt and you know you'll see there's a blog post also where i actually tried to do my top 50 it's it's kind of a fool's errand trying to uh rank that many movies but uh it was fun to go back and look though and see some of the movies that i love so much but on this we'll be talking about the top 10 i've got josh bell film critic and host of Awesome Movie Year, another podcast that I produce, a podcast that just started its third season on the films of 1989. Go check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, But Josh and I get into our top tens as well as a few uh, separate categories that help to flesh out what this decade looked like in cinema. So uh, it's a great conversation. Before we jump into it, I want to remind you, please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And uh, with all that said, let's get into this lengthy conversation about the last 10 years of movies. All right, so today we are going to continue our coverage of the end of the decade with an episode on the best of the decade, and we've got film critic Josh Bell with us. How's it going, Josh? going well how are you oh i'm all right this is going to be a fun conversation it's going to be it's it's so weird to like look back at, at such a long time i mean my my memory's terrible i'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to think back to some of the, some of this stuff as i was researching i was like there's no way that came out this decade and yeah. sure enough that came out this decade you know right even even watching a movie from you know not that many years ago it can sometimes seem a, a little like 
dated. I was just watching a movie from part of a movie from 2011 to to refresh for this, and some of the technology. I was like, really, is that how things happened in yeah. 2011? And and I, you know, it was. I'm sure. Well, this is going to be a long conversation, so we might as well just dive right in. But I do want to ask one quick question uh, that I didn't ask you ahead of time. But okay. um, did you, in the process of making this list, make a bigger overall list? I did. What I did was I threw together, like, I went through my top tens or ish for all the years that I right. had made. And then a couple other lists. I always do every year a list of the best movies I saw from previous years. So in some cases, that was like a catch up from a year or two earlier. Right. So anything that was on those lists, and I think it was like 106 movies that was on my just general list. And from there, I picked out a top 10 that we're going to talk about today. But below that, I didn't really put them in much of an order. So Mm. I I haven't posted it anywhere. Uh, and I may or may not try to do something like that. But yeah, I mean, ideally, it, I would have loved to go and watch all 106 or whatever of those movies and reevaluate all of them and come up with a top 10. But I mean, come on, that's yeah. never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, as I was saying to my awesome movie year co-host, Jason Harris, uh-huh. um, you know, who was like, oh, yeah, do that. It's like, well, then maybe I'll have it at the end of the next decade. Right. There you go. That'll give you a little time to right. get it in order. So. Yeah. All right, let's jump in. What do you got for your number 10 favorite movie of the decade? All right, so my number 10 pick is A Ghost Story, David Lowry's uh, film. This is from 2017 about about a ghost played by Casey (laughs) Affleck, a ghost in a sheet, the kind of silly uh, thing that you see on Halloween, maybe in a Charlie Brown special Uh uh, or whatever. And yet this movie is so heartbreaking oh, yeah. um the way that uh he kind of haunts the house that he's lived in with his uh wife played by Rooney Mara um and she moves out of the house and he's kind of tethered to this as the years go by and we see his inability to connect and also his inability to move on and we also see her it's a great movie about grief there's mm-hmm. of course the infamous scene somewhere around i think the middle of the movie where she just sits and eats an entire pie in a single take. And that's that's a good barometer of how much you're willing to take. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I think that scene was very much a test of whether people like this movie or not. And many people hated that scene and hated this movie Yeah, for that matter. But to me, this is a movie that just drew me in immediately. It's, it's slow and it's meditative. It's got a lot of long takes, not just that pie scene. I mean, I was watching just part of it recently because I hadn't had the time to revisit all these (laughs) movies, but the scene, uh, where uh, Casey Affleck's character first kind of becomes a ghost, I guess you would say. He's, sure. His body is lying on this table in, a, in the morgue, covered in the sheet. And after Rooney Mara walks out and the, the room is empty, and we just sit there I love for that several scene. minutes, just <laughs> waiting for him to rise. Because you know it's coming. You know it's you, coming. You've read the title of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just everything, this movie takes takes so much time to to consider things. Yeah. Um, and it's a movie about like the entirety of human existence, but also just about the relationship between these two people. And it has one of the most perfect endings oh, yeah. of any movie. Um, so yeah, I really like it. David Lowry, another movie of his from this decade was, I think I was going to mention a few of because some, a lot of these directors on this list had other movies that I was close on. And sure. uh, ain't them body saints is another great, great movie, movie of his with Casey Affleck from this decade. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it, 
probably makes my top 20 a, a ghost story. Uh, also, I don't know if you listened to our top scores of the decade uh, list, but that was one of the only movies that uh, both my guest and I had on our top 10 Oh, wow, well, yeah. It does have an amazing score. Fantastic yeah. score. Just so beautiful. But yeah, I, I love that movie. It's yeah. so good. Um, all right. I will jump into my number 10. Uh, a movie that is the second in a series, and there have been no more since... That is Dan Trachtenberg's 10 Cloverfield Lane. There's definitely not a third movie in this series. It didn't happen, and I refuse to accept that there was ever a third one. But um, 10 Cloverfield Lane was such a surprise for me. I mean, first of all, I mean, just the whole J.J. Abrams way of releasing these Cloverfield movies, it was a surprise, literally. But um, the fact that they would change genres so much and then that it would end up being so damn good. I mean, it's just a great, like, anxiety-ridden mystery and uh the performance by john goodman fantastic just a monstrous performance and uh, mary elizabeth winstead is phenomenal in it and i i also love the score on this one as well it was also on my list for that episode uh but yeah i i i really really uh love this movie and like i said it's just such a surprise that that they would change things up so much within the scope of you know what this series could be um and be so successful at it and i can't wait for them to be successful with it again one day when they finally make a third cloverfield <laughs> uh, i like this movie a lot too it is somewhere on my big 100 plus list of uh movies from this decade uh you're right the performances are so good john goodman mary elizabeth winstead who's done a lot of great stuff this decade yeah uh, i will be talking about her again later uh preview um, and, uh, I never, I never saw the non-existent third movie, uh, in this series, which I'm sure you would say was the right choice. You're a lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like 10 Cloverfield Lane a lot. And I think as far as these, um, genre pulpy movies go, uh, it was one of the better ones this decade. Definitely. Awesome. What do you got for number nine? My number nine pick is uh, one of the first movies that kicked off the McConaissance mm. is Jeff Nichols' Mud from 2012, starring Matthew McConaughey as the title character. Also on my best scores list. Oh, all right. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, like a great McConaughey performance, of course, as this sort of drifter guy who befriends these two kids. Um, played by Ty, Ty Sheridan and uh, Jacob, Jacob Laughlin, I think is his name, who plays the other kid. And this is a very evocative. I have a bunch of movies, even though like I'm not I'm not from the South, mm -hmm. uh, nor have I really been there very often. But I have multiple movies I noticed on this list that are very evocative of sort of like Southern rural or small town, suburban or whatever living. Right. And this movie is very much that it takes place in Arkansas and really gets um, the sense of place, the characters who live on these sort of like, I guess they're like houseboats almost, right. or they live on like a dock. Um, and it's also a great movie about hero worship, about these two kids who find this weird guy and come to really like look up to him and realizing that maybe he's not really a good guy. Right. Yeah. Um, McConaughey is great. Um, the score is great, as you said, and great child performances. Ty Sheridan, at least, has gone on to, you know, become an adult and, and do some good work as well as he's gotten older. I'm not sure about the other star here. Um, but uh, also Michael Shannon, Sarah Paulson, sure. Ray McKinnon, a lot of great supporting performances in this movie. So, uh, yeah, Jeff Nichols, I feel like has had sort of a bumpy career 
uh, since this, but I like it. This movie a lot. Mostly good. Um, maybe not all great though. Yeah, but, not all great. And yeah. I feel like this is a movie that really had this like clarity of vision that even his decent movies afterwards maybe didn't quite capture. All right. Um, well, I, I love mud and I do think it is, uh, it's a strangely forgotten movie. I think it is too. Yeah. That's why I almost, this was one where I thought maybe I should put something else on the list here. Cause it's like no one else seems to pay attention to it, yeah. but I, I think it's worth including here. Absolutely. Uh, great movie. Uh, my number nine, I, I used the word surprising for the last one, but this one's also pretty damn surprising. Uh, Matt Reeves' War for the Planet of the Apes, which uh, this series, more than any other of like the blockbuster series this, this decade, I mean, you know, you, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into when it comes to a Mission Impossible or a Marvel or, a, you know, Star Wars or whatever. The Planet of the Apes series was, I mean, who would have expected these movies to be as good as they are, and especially for each one to get better, you know? And I think uh, War for the Planet of the Apes is the best one. That's of, the third one. That's the third okay. one. Yeah, it's a, a perfect conclusion, and it goes in directions that are just so unlike the usual blockbuster. I mean, you know, mixing, uh, you know, kind of Western and war-style filmmaking with... Uh, long stretches of no dialogue or subtitles and um you know things that you just do not see in this kind of a movie and i think it's done incredibly well and uh andy circus i mean just i mean nailing it with this creation which is i mean it's gonna go down as one of the best cgi creations i think ever yeah i never was able to get into this series to be honest i know people people love it i mean you're certainly not the only one and i think the second one which was something else for the planet of the apes right. uh, <laughs> dawn I, or war or yeah, rise one is rise and one is dawn yeah. i don't know the second one was the one that i think i liked the most but still didn't really like very much okay. but uh yeah sure planet of the apes why not cool <laughs> <laughs> what do you got next so my number eight is actually something yeah is kind of surprising as well and this was a movie that i liked a lot and i think was in my top 10 list for the year at the time but not necessarily at the top and i had watched it again uh, for some uh, thing that I was writing about one particular scene in it, and I ended up watching the whole movie just because it's so fucking fantastic. It's David Litch's Atomic Blonde uh, oh, starring okay. Charlize Theron. And I think this is probably the best action movie of the decade. And I think it doesn't get as much credit, um, maybe because David Litch, also part of the John Wick team, co-directed the first and then not uh, uh-huh. the second uh, and third ones, but the John Wick movies get a lot of attention. Um, and David Lynch as a director, I feel like has kind of decided to move on to being a big blockbuster director doing Deadpool 2 and Hobbs and Shaw. And I feel like has kind of lost what made the first John Wick movie good. And especially what makes Atomic Blonde good. It's so incredibly inventive in the way that it stages its action scenes. And Mm. it doesn't rely on big CGI. It doesn't rely on these enormous, um, like building, uh, like, always raising the stakes in terms of like, oh, we can't have a car chase. We have to have 10 cars and they have to fly in the air and right, all right. this stuff. No, it's all, I mean, it's not realistic, of course, but it's it's much more grounded. It's much more close quarters. Um, and Charlize Theron, just like as an actor, is phenomenal in this movie. And it's not just like crazy action. Like it's a character that she builds and there's emotion to it. And I think the story, which is kind of convoluted, um, but is engrossing the whole way. James McAvoy is a lot of fun as her sort of uh, associate slash adversary. Um, yeah. 
I just love, um, I mean, the scene that I wrote about, um, the reason that I revisited it is the long, long, long take in the stairwell fight that they mm. have in this movie, which is fantastic. Um, but you could write about almost any scene, almost any stunt scene in this movie as an example of like the top level of action filmmaking. So I think it's in a weird way, a movie that is underrated, even though I see it cited, uh, as an influence a lot now, it didn't make a ton of money at the box office. Right. Right. Um, and I think it's one that is going to be more influential as time goes on. I wish I liked it more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I do agree there's some incredible action sequences in it. And Charlie Theron, I mean, talk about a decade. I mean, she has had an incredible yeah. decade. Um, but uh, I just, uh, the rest of it, when it's not the action sequences, just, uh, I just felt it dragged a lot. But, yeah. But um, but yeah, no. I mean, it's still, it's definitely got its moments. That's for sure. Yeah, I think even like like the the romance element between her and Sofia Butella, like mm. all of that stuff, just really works for me. All right. Well, uh, I am going to um, see your best action movie. Did you say that in that one? <laughs> that is, yeah, that yeah. is my assessment of it. And uh, and and raise you a Mission Impossible Fallout, all which right. for the longest time, and I think back when we did our. Um, best of the year episode last year i i said that uh ghost protocol is still my favorite mission impossible but as these movies have uh sat with me for longer and longer fallout has finally just overtaken it i mean it is just it, it's tom cruise as far as he's i don't know how they could ever up the ante anymore <laughs> with the next one which apparently they're going to two more times they're gonna try it. they're least. gonna try if it kills them but uh yeah no the 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 stuff that they they come up with for him and that he actually goes out there and does is just absolutely insane it's just so thrilling to watch and uh i i love lauren balf's score it was my favorite score of the decade um although it was disqualified from my list because we had a rule with that but that's another story but <laughs> no, um, no mission impossible movies <laughs> Was that the rule? No pre-existing themes. Ah, so okay. yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I, I love that music, and it's just it's such a fun movie. Yeah, I like the Mission Impossible movies. I I feel like they've kind of like maybe run their course a little. I would say that Ghost Protocol is probably the Brad Bird one. Is yeah, probably my Bird favorite. One. But but as far as yeah, as far as action movies go, as far as action franchises go, mm -hmm. I don't think any other action franchise this decade has been as consistently strong. You're right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, what do you got next? All right, so my number seven pick is David McKenzie's Hell or High Water, the uh, sort of uh, crime thriller, and another movie all about uh, people struggling in the South, uh, starring Chris Pine and Ben Foster as a pair of brothers who go on a bank robbing spree uh, to pay their bills. Yes. You know, that's, that's why they're going to rob banks, because they've been screwed on their debt. Mm -hmm. um, the saddest bank robbing reason possibly <laughs> in the history of movies. Um, and Jeff Bridges as the lawman who chases after them. And it's just, I mean, this is one of Jeff Bridges' best performances. He's fantastic in this movie. Uh, the writing from Taylor Sheridan, and I think this was the height of the sort of moment when Taylor Sheridan seemed like he was going to be like a defining sure. filmmaker. And I think he's maybe not quite lived up to that. To me, this is the best thing that he's done. Mm. But also the direction from David McKenzie, who is not American, but really captured something, I think, about that region and about the economic moment in the United States. It's just got so... It's it's funny. It's got great dialogue. It's It's tense. There's long shootouts. And just, you know, just the chase aspect of it is this this 
lawman hunting these guys and and they're all sympathetic you know you can feel for these brothers they're not these dangerous mean criminals it's got a lot of fun random little supporting performances from people like dale dickey and katie mixon and it's just an entertaining movie this is a movie that i really need to go back and rewatch because i don't know if i ever told you this but uh chad clinton freeman our mutual friend and friend of the show uh we got to go to a test screening of it like a year before it came out and I just didn't think it was that good. And then it comes out and everyone's like, this is one of the best movies of the year. And I was like, really that movie, you know? (laughs) And so I really need to go back and see if maybe they made it better. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, obviously I don't know what changed there, but this was, this was my number one pick of that year. And I think it remains very strong. Uh, I know you hate Netflix, but it is on Netflix now (laughs) if you wanted to watch it again. Did I, do I have any Netflix movies on my list? I don't think I do. It's not a Netflix original movie, <laughs> right, but it is right. available on Netflix. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, things we hate, something <laughs> you hate, uh, my uh, number seven is Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I could have easily went with Isle of Dogs, which, of course, was my number one last year. Uh, but I, I wanted to go with this one. I think this is the movie that I will uh, revisit more over the years. It's It's... I think my favorite Wes Anderson of this decade, uh, just it does everything that a Wes Anderson movie should do and does it to the extreme. It does it like, it, it, and if you do not like what he does, the quirky and all that stuff, um, it, it really leans into it and you're not going to like it. Uh, but it is a, a incredibly fun movie. It is very silly. All, all of the actors just seem like they're having such a blast making it. Um, especially, uh, you know, of course, Ray Fiennes in, in the main role. It, they're all just, they're having such a blast and it's so infectious to watch. Yeah, I will say it's probably the Wes Anderson-ist Wes Anderson movie. Right. And I don't really, I don't <laughs> like his whole thing. So I did not like this movie. That is completely fair and yeah. I will accept that from you. Right. <laughs> so what are we on? Number six. Uh, what yes, do you got? number six. My number six pick uh, is Hirokazu Koreeda's Our Little Sister, um, which is a movie that's not, about a whole lot it's a very small scale family drama which is kind of his specialty he's a great great filmmaker one of my favorites currently working and very prolific um this is a this is from 2015 and i think is his best film of the decade he got a lot of attention for shoplifters which was probably his more most well-known film that he did this decade but this to me is is his best um it's about three uh adult sisters who uh form a relationship with their father dies and they meet for the first time their teenage half-sister who was the product of their father's affair that essentially broke up the marriage between their parents. So Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of bad blood, but they decide to bring this teenage girl into their home. They all live together in this kind of sprawling uh, old family home. Um, And there's not a lot of conflict in this movie, mm-hmm. but it's the kind of movie that makes you feel good about life. Okay. You watch this movie and it's just, these people love each other so much. They care so much about doing the right thing for each other. And there is conflict. I mean, there's moments where the sisters disagree. Um, there's a lot of uh, bad blood in the past with the family. Not only did their father abandon them uh, to go be with this other woman that he had a child with, but their mother also abandoned them. And she comes back into their life at one point after 15 years. And there's a lot of resentment and there's questions about whether these women will, you know, they have this almost idyllic 
situation where they're all single and they're all living together and is one of them going to kind of break off and get married and are they going to lose this wonderful situation that they have together but those conflicts are all minor and they're all resolved in this humane beautiful but entirely believable way and the mm-hmm. movie takes place over the course of a year in the life of these sisters and it's just it, it's so emotional it's the kind of thing like you watch it and and you you'll you know I'll end up crying at this movie, even though it's not a sad movie. Right. But it's just a movie that that captures the beauty of everyday life, I think, so wonderfully. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love it. And we talked about Little Women this year. And sure. it's a movie that actually reminds me a lot of Little Women in that it's about this bond among sisters who care so deeply about each other. And you can tell that the sister relationship is the most important thing in their lives and will continue to be that re- the most important thing no matter what happens to them as they go forward. That's a, uh, a sweet pick for uh, a list that has a lot of dark shit. On yes. It and I have us. some more dark shit, but <laughs> yeah. that movie is the opposite of dark. And it's the kind of movie that you can just like cuddle up with. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've never seen it, but it uh, sounds great. Yeah. Uh, okay. My number six is Damien Chazelle's whiplash. Uh, an incredible movie about jazz drumming with a ridiculously crazy performance by J.K. Simmons as the teacher. And, uh, you know, I I am very mixed on the stuff that's come since for Chazelle, but this movie absolutely cemented him as one of those names where, oh, whatever he's doing next, I am super, super excited for that. Um, but it's also just a great music movie, and I I, I love a good music movie, you know? Yeah, I don't like this movie. You don't? At all. Okay. And I, but I've kind of liked things that he's done since. I've liked La La Land and I liked First Man. I think he's an interesting filmmaker. And, but what, to me, one of the most interesting things is that you say it's a great music movie. Mm-hmm. To me, I remember what I said at the time is that this is a movie that will make you hate music. <laughs> <laughs> that it's so unpleasant. And the characters in this movie who are these dedicated musicians uh-huh. are just awful uh-huh. and it to me it made it feel like making music is the most odious thing that you could pop and i love music I love i'm it. not a musician like you are i mean yeah. in a tiny tiny amount but really not but i love music and to me i wanted to never hear jazz drumming again after watching this movie okay well I, i'm curious to hear once we get a little later in my list another music related movie what you're gonna have to say about that but <laughs> uh, right. we'll get to that when we get to it what do you got for uh your number five uh, my number five pick is Pavel Pavlikowski's Ida, and he's another director that uh, there were a couple of his movies that I probably could have put on this list. Cold War is another that I absolutely love. Um, but Ida from 2013, it's, I mean, first of all, it's one of the most visually stunning movies of the whole decade. It's shot in black and white in the mm-hmm. Academy ratio, and the way he frames every shot, you could pause it and print it out and put it on your wall. I mean, that's a cliche to say, but it's so true. Right. It just looks astonishingly good um and it's a beautiful story about this woman who is uh, a catholic nun or is about to become a catholic nun and before she takes her vows she's going back to explore her family history and uh what happened to her family it takes place in the 1960s and what happened to her sort of ancestors during world war ii um so it's a movie also it's very catholic but it's also a movie about jewish heritage mm-hmm. and the sort of uh complexity of that when you don't entirely understand it or you haven't been brought up in it she goes and visits her aunt who tells her about 
her family history and is also is clearly very troubled by it. Um, it's just a, it's a movie about this woman's self-discovery and understanding who she is in relation to her background, her heritage, but also in relation to what she wants to do with her life. And is she's going to is she going to dedicate herself to this religious order? Um, it's very emotional, maybe not on the immediate level that Cold War is, which is about a romantic relationship and is also incredibly beautifully shot and sure. very, very emotional. But um, I remember I've seen it. I've seen it a couple times and it's a short movie, but every moment of it has a really strong impact. Right on. Yeah, I've never actually seen it, but, uh, you know, the little bits and pieces I've seen, I mean, it looks absolutely beautiful. It is. It really is. Yeah. All right. Number five for me uh, is, I, I mean, they had some stuff before this, but I think it was the first A24 movie that, you know, clued me into the whole A24 thing, and that is Alex Garland's Ex Machina in 2015, um, which, I mean, it, it's it's a movie about a... Uh, a uh, kid who's who's uh, invited to this Google owner like guy's mansion in the middle of nowhere to basically do uh, an experiment trying to see whether or not this uh, AI woman cre- creation uh, could pass the Turing test and pass as human. And it is just it, it's weird. It's it's exciting. It's very freaky and uh and goes some fucked up directions as well and um it's it's a fucking great movie i love this movie so much uh and i also oscar isaac uh as as the um the inventor you know scientist guy i mean is just it's one of his best roles absolutely and also an incredible score as well uh, but yeah, I don't know how many more great things I could say about Ex Machina. I, I love this movie. It looks incredible and I, I love the ending. I know not everybody does, um, because of I, where it goes in that ending, but, um, I, I think it's a perfect ending, honestly. Yeah. It's brutal, yes. but it's very, very good. I like that movie a lot. It's definitely on my, my larger list. And, uh, yeah, Oscar Isaac did a lot of great things yeah. uh, this decade as well. Um, and it's a breakout role for Alicia Vikander. I Absolutely. think it was one of the first things that people saw her in, and, yeah. and she's fantastic in it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it as well. I'm glad uh, as we enter the new decade, we are going to have Oscar Isaac back uh, from the Star Wars uh, I mean, universe. He's, he's been doing other stuff, and he's good in those Star Wars movies. <laughs> oh, he is. He's the, my, probably my favorite part of those movies, but I, I want to see him do more, you know, more yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, but he's it, done some great. Yeah. Uh, a Most Violent Year is another one that I sure. had on a long list, and that he's fantastic in that movie. Right, yeah. right. Um, so my number four pick is, uh, Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim versus the world and, uh, talking about Mary Elizabeth Winstead again, Sure. as Ramona Flowers, the sort of manic pixie dream girl of this movie, who is the object of affection for Scott Pilgrim played by Michael Cera. And, um, this movie is just so creative visually and structurally. It's based on a, a graphic novel by Brian Lee O'Malley. Um, and it, it it evokes comic books in a way that very few comic book movies successfully do with its use of on-screen text. And, and video games. Right. And that's <laughs> what I was going to say is that it evokes video games just yeah. as well um, in, in both cases. And it's this sort of, I don't know, almost magical realist story about Scott Pilgrim, played by Michael Cera, who wants to date Ramona Flowers, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and first has to defeat her seven evil exes in this, <laughs> these kind of old school video game style uh, competitions. And it's extremely funny. It's a very, very funny movie. It's a great romance. And I think one thing that uh, 
maybe people some people misconstrued about this movie and uh, the people who criticize it for the idea that it it is partially responsible for the uh, entitlement of male nerds. <laughs> right. um, but I think watching, and I did actually have a chance to watch this again recently, which I didn't do with all of these movies, but this one that I, I did, because it's from 2010, it had been a really long time since I saw it. And I think what's another great thing about this movie is that Scott is a dick. Right. And it doesn't shy away from showing you that Scott is not really a good person. Right. And he kind of learns to be a good person over the course of the movie, but not entirely. And he really, he treats his exes very poorly. His own exes, uh, Knives Chow, played by Ellen Wong, who's his sweet teenage girl that he's dating and just kind of throws to the side, uh, as well as his bandmate Kim, played by Allison Pill. And he's clearly hurt people and doesn't realize it. So... I think this movie is a critique of that kind of nerd entitlement and that people don't really see that. But I think there's a lot going on. I think this is Edgar Wright's best movie and uh, it's really good. I think Edgar, Edgar Wright is a really smart guy and I think he knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah, it, I think you know? so. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's why when when people, you know, use that that criticism, I, I just think, no, he knows what he's doing. He He, he knows what message he's getting across with the movie. Yeah, it's just not everyone who sees this movie is as smart as he is. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, my number four is one that I already know you don't like. All right. Um, but it is uh, the Safdie Brothers 2017 Good Time, which, uh, first of all, is just one of the just craziest, just edgier-seat kind of movies for me. Um, I, I, I love everything beginning to end. I think it's fantastic to look at. The score is incredible. And more than anything, Robert Pattinson's performance. I mean, you know, it, probably my favorite actor working right now. And uh, this is really what introduced me to him as somebody who's somebody worth watching. You know, I went back and watched The Rover after. Uh, oh, yeah. That's yeah, great. which is an incredible movie as well. Um, but. Yeah, I, th this is when I really was kind of introduced to him as somebody worth watching, and he he's just so damn electrifying in this movie. Every every moment that he's on screen, but also Benny Safdie is incredible as the uh, the brother. Um, but it, this this movie is just it's just a wild ride, and it's just. It just gets crazier and crazier, and you know I love when movies get crazy and crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you're right. I don't I don't care for this or the Softies' work in general. Um, and Pattinson, like I like, I feel like I can't quite get fully on the on board the Pattinson train. Okay. I, I mean, I think I've liked a lot of his performances and movies he's in, and I respect. He's always like taking risks and working mm -hmm. with people like the softies or, or Claire Denis. Yeah. His or list Eggers. of directors is just yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I, I mean, both him and Kristen Stewart, I think have really taken that, you know, their big franchise thing of the young adult series, you know, with twilight and use that clout to work with interesting people and do interesting stuff. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I, I never quite love what he does. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Good for him. Yes. He's, he's doing quite well for himself. Oh, he sure is. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't need my endorsement. There you go. All right. We're getting to our top three. What do you got? All right. So my number three is Jeremy Sonier's Blue Ruin from 2013. Another movie about desperate people in the South. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, about Macon Blair's character out for revenge in the most inept way possible. Um, discovers that the guy who he believes has killed his parents has been released from prison and his life is in shambles, but he rouses himself and decides to 
get revenge and kill this guy and does within the first, like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of the movie or something. And the way that that spirals out into this cycle of violence and the idea that of the futility of revenge and eventually realizing that maybe the person that you sought revenge against isn't even the right person. Right. Um, it's just the way that, that Sonia kind of like ups the stakes continually throughout this movie in a way that's like exciting and suspenseful, but also just really sad, mm-hmm. uh, I think is brilliant. And again, he's another director who I could have put another of his films on this list, Green Room, which was Green his Room. next film, I think is fantastic. He is so good at depicting the like, ugliness and pointlessness of violence Uh um, and people getting stabbed in the head, um, which there is a lot of in all of his movies Um, and Macon Blair too, who is like his friend and sort of collaborator slash muse is just really, really good in the main role of this movie and himself a good filmmaker who made a movie called uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore, which I thought was a really good film uh, from this decade as well. So yeah, I, Sonia is super talented and I'm excited to see more, uh, he made a few movies this decade and uh, should do more stuff. But Blue Ruin is great, as I think maybe has been on Netflix or on various streaming places. And people who saw Green Room, maybe, which had bigger uh, stars in it, definitely should see Blue Ruin. Yeah, I, uh, I I hate this, but I've never seen Blue Ruin. Oh, man. I, I know. I've always, it's literally, I could show you my list. It's on the top <laughs> of my one of these days watch at home sure, list. Um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I need to see this movie. And I, I, I love everything I've seen from him since then. You yeah. Know, between uh, Green Room and Hold the Dark. But, right. um, but yeah, I, I definitely need to go back and watch this. You do. It's going to happen. All I, right. I swear. Before the end of the next decade. That's a good goal. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number three for me is 2013's Inside Lewin Davis, the Coen brothers. Uh, like I said, another music movie. Um, and the this is, you know, when you when you sit down and just actually think about what's happening, it is one of the bleakest movies, like honestly, ever. It's it's crazy how dark this movie is, but but kind of hidden. I don't think most people really like look at it that way necessarily. Uh but what uh you know, aside from that, I mean it's got an incredible cast. Everybody is just so good. Oscar Isaac, John Goodman, uh just everybody in this is so good. Uh the music is great. The songs are, are fantastic. Oh Adam Driver is a little bit isn't it? Somebody actually uh it's a total aside, but somebody posted on Twitter Twitter today, uh, a little clip of Adam Driver meowing at a cat is so <laughs> funny in, the, in at the cat in this movie. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's just so much that I love about this movie, and you know, also, I mean, you know, not to get like woe is me or anything, but as a musician, the idea of never quite reaching another step in your career, like man, does that resonate? You know? <laughs> yeah, I love this movie. I think it's great, and it's it's. This is one that I almost put on the list. Yeah. Um, I think it's the Coen's best movie of the decade, and I love the Coen's in general. But For sure. But of the, the four movies they made this decade, it's, it's clearly the best. Yeah. Oscar Isaac is amazing. I think the music is great. Yeah. And so evocative of the time period. And, and talking about that, I love there's the scene where he just like pours his heart into playing this song for F. Murray Abrams character, F. Murray Abraham's character, who's like a, was it a club manager right, or something yeah. like that? And it's just this beautiful haunting moment. And they let it play out. You hear the whole song, you hear his emotion. And then he just says, Murray uh, Abraham just says, I don't see a lot of money in this or right. something like that. And it's just that, that encapsulates that whole theme oh, yeah. right there of like the, the striving and, you know, you're never going to make it and nobody else cares how much yeah. emotion you're putting into it. So yeah, that's a great movie. That is seriously one of the best scenes I think of the decade. That yeah. scene is so damn good. Yes. 
All right, what do you got for your number two? My number two pick is Abbas Kiarostami's Certified Copy, starring Juliette Binoche and William Schimmel. Um, Kiarostami is an Iranian filmmaker who uh, made a ton of movies in his native country, and this was the first movie that he made uh, outside of Iran, mostly uh, in French, and but also in English, uh, kind of a mix. And something that he had been doing, I think, in a lot of his early movies and really comes out so, so, so strongly in this film is the idea of what is real, what are the relationships between the characters, what can you trust? And this is a movie that starts out it appears to be these two characters are strangers who meet after uh, William Schimmel's character is given, I believe it's like a book reading, and they decide to, they kind of hit it off and they're going to spend time together and they're going to drive around and look at some of these sites. And as the movie goes on, it appears that maybe they have a long history together. Maybe mm-hmm. they're married. Maybe they've been married. And it's never quite clear. But it's one of these movies like like the before movies or something where it's really all about just these characters talking and about the romantic connection from them. And it almost goes through the entire life cycle of relationships in this one film. Hmm. And it's haunting and moving. And even though you're never quite sure what their relationship really is or whether that even matters, every moment of the movie when they are playing out their particular relationship at that moment is really emotionally engaging and and haunting Hmm. and sad, but also romantic. And it's just the both of them act the hell out of it. And William Schimmel is an opera singer who I don't know if he'd ever acted before or has acted since. And Juliette Pinoche, of course, is one of the great actors ever. Sure. And but they they match each other really, really, really well. Um, so I love this movie. I've seen it several times uh over the last several years. Um, and Kiristami, who passed away a few years ago, made one more movie, one more narrative movie after this called Like Someone in Love that he made in Japan. Um, which is one that I could have also put on this list, a very similar kind of story where you don't really know for sure what characters' relationships are. Both of those are great. Um, and a lot of his, and his early films too, which I haven't seen a ton of them, but I definitely plan to. Sounds great. I, I've definitely never seen it, but uh, it definitely sounds like a really good movie. It's fantastic. Wow. All right. Well, I am going to go to my number two. Uh, which is my favorite comedy of the year. I do love a good comedy in there. I mean, of the decade, sorry. And uh, there haven't been that many great comedies this decade, like being honest, but uh, 2016's Shane Black comedy, The Nice Guys, which is, uh, first of all, it is the movie I've watched the most uh, this decade. I, I don't make time to watch movies at home that often. I think I've watched this like five times at home, and that's crazy for me, yeah. you know? Uh, this movie, I just throw it on. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling are so freaking funny. Every, their, their, their chemistry together is so, so perfect. Uh, it, it's, it's a great ode to like the whole buddy cop thing of like, really to Shane Black's heyday, really, when it comes down to it. And... Uh, the rest of the cast is fantastic. The uh, the girl, uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling's daughter, I don't know. Oh, Angry Rice. Yeah, okay, she's yeah. really, really good. Yeah, she's great. I mean, every everything about it is so good. It's also got a great story to it, just like when it slows down and isn't necessarily just nonstop funny. It also is actually a, a good little cop mystery, and um, it is just such a great movie. I love it so much. Yeah, I love that movie too. It's definitely uh, somewhere uh, near the the top reaches of my list. 
And I think it's a shame that that movie, it was a giant failure at the box office. Although I think its reputation has really grown over oh, time. Yeah. This is this is going to be a, like a cult movie, like going forward 10, 20 years. And I, you know, it's, it's clearly, I mean, this is, if there's one movie that's like, would, you know, warrant a sequel, I think this is it, but it's never going to happen though. But we're all just going to keep wishing for it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know. I think it's a great movie. Uh, I, I like that movie a lot. And my number one pick is also a comedy. All right. Um, so my pick for number one is Noah Baumbach's Mistress America. All right. And um, as I've talked about on Awesome Movie Year and on Piecing It Together many, many, many times, I'm a huge Noah Baumbach fan. He's definitely my favorite working filmmaker. And this is probably not the Noah Baumbach movie that is most likely to be people's pick for the best of the decade. Mm -hmm. He made six movies this decade, was very prolific. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of which I think are really good. Um, but to me, this movie, which he co-wrote with Greta Gerwig, uh, as he also did with Francis Ha, another really good movie that he directed this decade, um, is just, in, in a way, it actually goes back to the Coretta movie that I mentioned, Our Little Sister, in that it's about these kind of uh, forged bonds between sisters who didn't, weren't previously sisters. Greta mm -hmm. Gerwig uh, and Lola Kirk play, uh, Greta Gerwig is kind of a, in her 20s. She's this living in New York and I don't know exactly what she does for a living, but she seems like she's a cool bohemian hipster who really <laughs> does not have her stuff together at all. Right. And Lola Kirk plays uh, the daughter of uh, their, their parents are, are about to get married. So she's sort of her future stepsister and she's a college student. She reads out, reaches out to Greta Gerwig's character and looks up to her and uh, kind of sees her as this sister that she never had and someone that she could emulate. And over time, you realize, in a way, like Mud and the, the children who look up to him, you you go through the movie and you realize maybe she's really not a person to look up to. Sure. And it's about like hero worship and learning about a person as uh, as a human being and not just as a symbol of something. But it's also really, really, really funny. Yeah. The dialogue in this movie is brilliant from moment to moment. There's a long sequence where uh, the two characters go to this uh, sort of mansion on, uh, I think it's like on Long Island or something, or maybe it's in Connecticut, somewhere su suburban area of New York City uh, to confront uh, Greta Gerwig's um, ex and former friend. And it's just this like ridiculous farce as more and more people show up at this house and they've all got these conflicting agendas and it's just hilarious. Yeah. So um, I love this movie. I, it's my favorite Bombach film. Uh, obviously my favorite film of the decade and he's getting loads of attention, especially now with marriage story. And I hope that means more people will go watch this movie. I actually, uh, threw me a little curveball there. I thought you were going to go with Francis Ha, but I mean, Francis Ha is also great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and Bombach is one I could have just put like six slots of this with <laughs> Bombach sure. films, which I would obviously not do, <laughs> but yeah, but I love Francis Ha too. Awesome. All right. Well, my number one, you probably could guess it is Darren Aronofsky's mother, which I, I, I talk about this damn movie all the time. I, I love it. I, I, I love the sheer audacity of it. The, the just go for broke, just insanity of this movie. The, the, you know, a lot of people would, uh, a lot of people complain about this movie and like call it pretentious and all that stuff. And he clearly did not care. He's going to go for, it. he's going to do a Bible thing and he's going to layer it with different meanings and all this stuff that you can pick it apart and try to find all these different, uh, interpretations of the movie. And he, he just went for it. And when it, truly 
over the top in every possible respect. Also, the actors in it, perfect. I, I love Jennifer Lawrence in it. I love Javier Bardem in it. I, I love all the supporting actors in it. They're all just fantastic. And uh, also on a technical level, um, it's just a marvel just to watch it. And I, I have a, a book that was made of like the making of it and just seeing how they like built the house and everything. So that way they could get around it with cameras and stuff like that to, to really choreograph the whole thing. Um, it is It is just... I guess like high stakes filmmaking, like to try to even pull something like that off is just absolutely crazy. And, uh, the most like exhilarating thing I think I've sat through at the movies in, in this decade and truly, um, truly as much as I already loved movies after I finished watching that the first time and I sat through the whole credits and sat there for another like five, 10 minutes afterwards. I think at that point I was like, Fuck, I love movies, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love Mother. I like it a lot, too, and it's a very polarizing movie. There are a lot of people who hate it. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I'm not one of those people. I think it's great. Um, it definitely is somewhere on my long list of the best films of the decade. And, and I do love that Aronofsky just does what he feels like doing. I actually, I like Noah a lot, too. I think that's somewhere on my long list as well. Yeah, I, I like, honestly, I, lo I love everything he's done. Um, but that that's actually another interesting thing about it for me personally um, is, you know, and this is like, this is with music, this is with anything. It's when someone you love does something that becomes your new favorite of theirs. You yeah. know what I mean? That's a very exciting thing. And I certainly didn't expect that going into it. And to be like, holy shit, I have a new favorite Aronofsky. You know, that's yeah. pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. I, yeah. uh, I think it's an excellent pick. All right. So uh, we've got a few other things we're going to do to close this thing out. But before we start getting into some of those, uh, do you want to kind of rapid fire any honorable mentions that you might have? Well, we already talked about Inside Lewin Davis, uh -huh. which uh, almost made my list. Um, also, Young Adult, Jason Reitman's sure. uh, second collaboration with Diablo Cody and Charlize Theron, one of her best performances ever and certainly one of the best performances of the decade. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and my last uh, one would be We Are the Best, a Swedish film by Lucas Moodysson that's uh, all about these three teenage girls who form a punk band and is another one of those movies that is just about people being happy and <laughs> nice. loving. They are the best and they are so confident in that. And it's just a movie that makes you feel good about life and about music. It's a movie about creating music I gotta out of out. nothing. And, you know, there, there are these like 12, 13 year old girls and their big song is about how they hate sports. And <laughs> nice. that's their song. And it's just, yeah, it's just a movie that'll make you smile the whole time. I love it. That's awesome. Um, all right. Uh, I've got five. I'll just run through really, really fast. Um, Jeff Nichols take shelter, which right. I absolutely love just as much as mud. Uh, David Fincher's the social network, Excellent. Uh, which is, I uh, seems to be towards the top of most top yeah, 10 lists. Of I've this been decade. seeing that on a lot of lists. It is. That's a great movie. It, I could have had that on my list as well. Awesome movie. Uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's the master. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love not, it though. You and, know, filmmakers yeah. named Anderson. I'm yeah. not always crazy about. Uh, and then of course the, uh, the, the Tom Cruise movie, uh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Or, oh, I do. Or, like, yeah. or Lived, I Repeat, as it was right, renamed. Right. I thought of. you were just going to name another Mission Impossible. Movie. Oh, that I could have just done that, but but yeah, no. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow is so much fun. Um, just such a exciting, just crazy action movie. I love it so much. Yeah, I like um, that movie a lot too. And then Isle of Dogs, just throw that in that too. Oh yeah, more, more Andersons. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, first up for these bonus things, I want to do. Um, obviously, 
2019. We're, we're wrapping it up right now. We, of course, uh, just recorded a best of 2019. Uh, but with uh, recency bias, we didn't really want to include any 2019 movies on this list. It's kind of hard to say how it's going to age and all that stuff. But is there one 2019 movie to you that you really considered having on your list? Yeah, I don't know if I considered having any of these on my list. I don't even have anything from 2018 on my list. I yeah. feel like it takes time for me to really feel like a movie is like one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, but from 2019, I mean, my number one movie was Lajlo Nemesis Sunset, which I think is a great movie. Um, but I wonder if Little Women by Greta Gerwig is one that is just gonna, I feel like that's a movie that could like stand the test of time and mm -hmm. just build and build. And that when, you know, we look back five, 10 years from now, we'll just be like a complete, like universally acknowledged classic. I will say, uh, 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 although I didn't love uh, Little Women, um, Lady Bird is like the one this decade movie that I did go back and rewatch for the purpose of this episode. And um, I, I liked it a lot more this time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, definitely raised up in my uh, ranking, even though it's not my top 10. Uh, well, I, I would, um, you know, people listening, make sure you listen to our top 2019 list first. But um, my, my number one was Climax. But I would actually go with my number two, John Wick Chapter 3, which... Like I said on that episode, I mean, I'm I love the fight scenes in this so much that I could see myself just throwing this movie on just to to see some crazy awesome stuff. See, and especially the stuff with the dogs. I mean, that's some of my favorite moments of any movie. Those movies do seem to be like building in reputation over time, and maybe yeah. not the third one as much as the first one or the second one even. But yeah. yeah, I mean that that seems like something that more and more people keep coming to. I will be the lone defender of Chapter Three as being the best. Yeah, man, but I mean certainly not the lone defender of it in general as sure. a good movie. And I can see, I mean, John Wick already is becoming one of these like iconic action characters. It seems like absolutely. All right, so now what we're gonna do is talk about uh, we're gonna do the performer of the decade and the filmmaker of the decade uh somebody let's start off with performer somebody who you think has just really had an incredible 10 years of just just really standout performances well my pick is someone that we've been talking about already it's Charlize Theron yeah um and I mentioned Atomic Blonde which I think is underrated and she's fantastic in I mentioned Young Adult which is also maybe kind of underrated and and she is fantastic in uh, -huh. uh one movie that like uh Social Network that seems to be on many 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 lists is Mad Max Fury Road oh, of course. which I'm not a huge fan of but her performance in that is just amazingly oh, yeah. intense and the fact that she can come in and overshadow like the title character who's one of <laughs> yeah. the most famous action characters ever yeah. is pretty damn amazing. Um, those are the ones that are probably like the most notable that she's done this year. And I think what's what's amazing about that too is that like none of those characters are remotely similar to each right, other. She just yeah. has an amazing amount of range in what she can do. Um, in addition, uh, she's good in Prometheus, which is a polarizing film but i think she's <laughs> solid in that I, doing voice work in kubo and the two, two strings which i think is Leica's best film and mm -hmm. is another great movie that i could have had on a top 10 this year um i think she's really good in tully uh, teaming up again with diablo cody and sure. jason reitman even though i i have issues with that movie i don't her performance is not one of them she captures so much about motherhood in that movie uh, long shot from 2019, which I think is super underrated romantic comedy. Really funny, and she's she gets to be funny in it. Yeah, really funny. She's really funny, and she has great chemistry with Seth Rogen. Uh, and also from 2019, a movie that I wasn't crazy about, but I do think she's strong in Bombshell 
acting under a bunch of makeup, mm-hmm. but giving an effective performance as Megan Kelly. So, I mean, she's just someone who it feels like she could play anything. Yeah. And I would be there for it, and I would totally believe her. I completely agree. I totally could have picked her. Uh, she has had just such a, like you said, a range of performances. Yeah. Just so completely unlike each each role. So completely different. Um, so yeah, great, great pick. Uh, and I already alluded to this earlier, but, uh, Robert Pattinson is my pick, um, from, you know, Good Time, The Rover, Lost City of Z, The Lighthouse, High Life. Um, you know, these performances are just, uh, they're very- Twilight movies? That that wasn't this decade. No, we're not any of them this decade? Maybe the last one might've been 2010, but yeah, they're, they're they're in our rear view, Josh, (laughs) come on. All right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, they, he has just had such a crazy decade and, you know, his performances do all share a bigness and like, you know, he, he definitely, he has a thing that he does and you know what? I love it. <laughs> you know, sign me up. Um, of course, we're going into the new decade. We're going to have him in a Christopher Nolan movie and a uh, Batman movie. So we'll see what happens with those. I, I I don't necessarily love the idea of losing him to these big, giant blockbuster things, but uh, I am definitely looking forward to seeing whatever it is he does. I think he's shown a commitment to not just do blockbusters. Absolutely. I mean, even if that Batman movie becomes a massive hit and he has to make four more Batman movies, I think he'll still make time to do these smaller films as well. Absolutely. So uh, how about Filmmaker of the Decade? Well, this is obvious because I just was talking about him so much, but (laughs) my pick is Noah Baumbach, who of course directed my number one movie, Mistress America. And as I said, was quite prolific this decade. In addition to that, also directed Francis Ha, which he co-wrote with Greta Gerwig, um, and could have been on my list. Greenberg, which I think is fantastic and is more of his sort of uh, darker, more cynical style with a great performance from Ben Stiller and a great performance from Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Um, Marriage Story from 2019, which is getting the most attention of any of these movies and is probably his most acclaimed film of all, which I also think is fantastic. He gets such great performances out of almost any actor that he works with. Uh, and Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver are great in that movie. Um, then on a, maybe on a tiny bit lower level, the Meyerowitz stories with mm-hmm. a Ben Stiller again and Adam Sandler, who I never like Adam Sandler, but this is maybe <laughs> the closest I can come to liking him That's good. when he works with Noah Baumbach. He has a nice little uh, scene in that one of the best scenes in that movie with it, where he plays piano with his daughter and they sing this little song from her childhood. Yeah. Um, and while we're young again with Ben Stiller and Adam driver, I think the one that probably is the least acclaimed of all of these that I liked a lot and, uh, is maybe the most bitter and cynical of all of these movies about, uh, you know, kind of a self-absorbed filmmaker who fancies himself cool and young and realizes that he definitely is not. And the young people that he thinks are his friends are very much not his friends. Yeah. Yeah. um, But I like all of these movies. I could watch them all again. And I just think he's amazingly talented as both a writer and a director. Again, the way he works with actors, I think anyone, even, even someone I hate as much as Adam Sandler, (laughs) he cast in his movie and I, I, okay, he'll, he'll do something interesting. So I, I'm very excited to see what he does next. Yeah. I'm curious to see like with all the attention from marriage story, if that changes things for him in any way. Yeah. I mean, I hope not in a bad way, right? Um, right. you know, and he seems pretty committed to doing these smaller scale films, although he and Greta Gerwig are co-writing the Barbie movie. So we'll see how that goes. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. So filmmaker of the decade for me. Um, I got to say, I, I had a very hard time choosing between these three. Uh, but I, I will 
I will try to just stick to Quentin Tarantino. Um, Django Unchained, which is my least favorite of the, uh, the the three, but The Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I just absolutely adore both of those movies. Uh, and I feel like somehow the attention that each new Tarantino movie gets, it kind of takes... it. it he's... I don't feel like anybody else is like this. It brings you back, and maybe not you specifically, Josh Bell, but um, <laughs> but it brings me back to wanting to rewatch all of his movies. I have like a marathon every time he comes out with something new, and it's just so exciting to go back and rediscover his movies over and over again. And and you know, the, certainly those older ones didn't come out this decade, but I, I feel myself drawn to them every time he comes out with a new movie, and I think that kind of speaks to his whole you know, pretentious wanting to have a filmography thing that is, you know, all goes together kind of thing. But um, I, I think there's a very good reason for that because they really do all kind of go together. And um, just really fast because I was having so much trouble. Martin Scorsese, Shutter Island, uh, Hugo, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence and the Irishman, and Paul Thomas Anderson, The Master, Inherent Vice, and Phantom Thread. Both of them also having incredible decades. Yeah, I feel like Scorsese is very scattered in this decade. Um, I, I love modern Scorsese. Yeah. I, I know you're not a big fan of, I'm, of I'm any not, of those, really. Well, I'm not. I'm not not a fan. Like I can admire a lot of his work. I rarely like love the movies right. as an experience. But I mean, certainly, I would prefer like pre 2010 Scorsese. Sure. I would say it's definitely a different thing. Yeah. But you know, I, I can completely see that. But I, 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 I love his his recent movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and I think you're right about Tarantino. He's like very good at making every time he makes a movie into like an event. Yes. Like, it's not just like, here's his new movie. It's like, here is like a cultural moment. Yes. And I feel like he's willed that into being like entirely on his own. Not that people <laughs> don't love him and care, but I feel like he decided like, you know, early in his career that this is how I'm going to be like, I'm going to make people pay attention in this way. Yeah, and, absolutely. And he's done a really uh, a good job of that, you know, for better or worse, you could, <laughs> you could argue. Right, um, right. Yeah, and I like, I mean, I know I, I was kind of dismissive on The Master, but I actually like Inherent Vice and Phantom Thread uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Both of those, I think, more than yeah. The Master. So. Well, I'm, I'm very excited for new Paul Thomas Anderson this coming year, so that's going to be exciting. Yeah. So, uh, Josh, you have a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Indeed. And so far, all of your seasons have been on years from decades past. But you had to pick a year from this decade that was the most awesome movie year. What would it be? Well, I was going through my list and trying to think of this. Um, and my pick is 2016. Okay. And uh, so Hell or High Water, which was on my top 10, uh, came out that year. Uh, Our Little Sister, which was on my my top 10, came out in the U.S. that year, although uh, earlier in Japan. But additionally, that year, some movies that we briefly touched on, including Jeremy Sonier's Green Room, uh, Laika's Kubo and the Two Strings, The Nice Guys, mm-hmm. um, those all uh, opened that year. Ten Other... Cloverfield Lane. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I hadn't even um, gotten down that list. I think this was the year where I had posted like a top 20 instead of a top 10 because nice. there were so many. I was like, okay, it's got to be this year. Um, elsewhere on like my list that I made for that year, 20th Century Women, Love and Friendship, The Edge of 17, Everybody Wants Some, The Handmaiden, Jackie, The Arrival, The Witch, The Eyes of My Mother, Christine, all just like fantastic, fantastic movies. 
Um, and in awesome movie year, we have certain categories like the best or the number one movie at the box office, which that year was Captain America Civil War, which if you're going to pick a Marvel movie, like that's a pretty, pretty good, good one, one to yeah. pick. Uh, and the best picture winner, which that year was Moonlight, which is a great film. And oh, it, yeah. was, it was almost La La Land, which is also a really good film. So, yeah. yeah, I think that would be a pretty strong year for us to talk about. A couple of those movies that I uh, mentioned were uh, debut features, which is another category that we talk about. Some of them are potential cult classics. So, um, yeah, to me, that's a great year. Did you pick one as well? I did. Yeah. And by the way, 2016 was my runner up. Okay. I, I agree. So, such a freaking good year. Uh, but 2017 for me, um, that included, of course, Mother, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, Good Time, The Florida Project, Ingrid Goes West, A Ghost Story, The Big Sick, The Last Jedi, Logan, Thor Ragnarok, Get Out, Colossal, Brigsby Bear, It. Whole lot of a lot, a lot of great too. movies in there. Yeah, some yeah. stuff that I uh, would have potentially put on my list, and a couple that I did. So. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think we did it. I think we covered the decade. The decade is ended. Wow. Now forget about it entirely. All right. Yeah. Let's let's move forward. Oh wait. So does that mean I don't have to watch any of those movies? No, that I you missed? have to watch all of them. Oh, you shit. have to spend the next decade watching them. Well, I will take the entire next decade to get to them all with the way things are going with podcasting. But uh, yeah, why don't you tell people a little bit more about Awesome Movie Year? Well, Awesome Movie Year, as you said, is a podcast where we take a different year in film each season and look back on uh, the films of that year in various categories, including the top box office film, the best picture winner, future cult classic, uh, film debut, a feature debut from a notable filmmaker. My co-host for that is comedian and filmmaker Jason Harris and also occasional piecing it together guest and once uh, in a while once in a while you know we just <laughs> we just had uh, an episode with him on it sure uh, but he is on every episode of awesome movie year yes and uh, we are about to launch or maybe did launch depending on when this is posting our third season talking about the films of 1989 and uh my, my brain is mush i'm trying to do the uh the math right now of what day this is gonna okay. be so it's either before or after yeah it's it's, it's either <laughs> about to launch or has newly launched uh so lots of cool stuff that season features i think three of my favorite movies of all time that we're talking about so, uh, so that's a really awesome movie it yeah. is a really awesome movie year but as we say on the podcast every year is an awesome movie year that's including right. 2019 um so you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts you can go to awesomemovieyear.com Follow us on various social medias at Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. And, uh, you know, we hope that some of the Piecing It Together listeners uh, will give us a shot. You guys, it's a great show. Go listen to it. Josh, thank you, uh, as always, for being here. And I look forward to covering more movies with you in this uh, next decade. Yeah, I think we'll do it. We're queer. We're geeks. We're queeks. Superheroes, Star Wars, Broadway, Drag Race. So if you're super gay, super nerdy, or anything in between, listen to Queeks today. Wherever fine podcasts are sold. And find us on Instagram at Queeks Podcast. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the best films of the decade. I know it's a huge task to even attempt to make a list of the best films of an entire decade, but... I want to know what you thought of our picks. Obviously, Josh and I had very different picks. I don't. We didn't have any overlap, did we? Uh, maybe a little bit in the uh, honorable mentions, but 
yeah, I, I'd love to know what you think of uh, what we what we talked about on the show. You can, of course, uh, you know, just tweet at me at PiecingPod. You could also email me directly by davidrosen at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we have all kinds of conversations about movies all the time. And I'm sure we'll start a thread to go along with uh, this episode. So, yes, I would love to hear about your picks for the best of the decade. I, I know it's a very, uh, a very difficult task to, to make these kinds of lists, but uh, you can check out a blog post I made with my, I expanded this to the top 50. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all meaningless, but it was fun to put together. Let's put it that way. So uh, I do want to tell you about a couple things here at the end of the show. Actually, before I get into those, I want to complain about something real quick. I complain on Twitter all the time. I don't usually complain on mic, but I'm going to complain, okay? Uh, it was just announced today, the day that I'm finishing up this episode and getting it uh, scheduled for uh, Friday the 10th, I believe it is, that this is going to go up. It was just announced today, on Wednesday the 8th, that Regal Cinemas, probably my favorite movie theater chain, uh, mainly because uh, the Regal here in Las Vegas at uh, it's called Village Square plays the most indie films. They play the most like A twenty four and Neon and Fox Searchlight and uh, you know all those kinds of studios. Um, and the things that don't necessarily open everywhere else. So I I do love Regal, but I also love Regal because I think they have the best popcorn, and they have really delicious soda. In their Coke products, uh, Diet Coke specifically is my favorite, and it's actually the only soda I drink, and they have the best Diet Coke of anywhere. Any restaurant, any anything, I love Regal Diet Coke, and it was announced today that Regal, after God knows how many years, is ending their partnership with Coca-Cola and moving to Pepsi. People, let me just tell you, If I'm at a restaurant and I ask for a Diet Coke and they say, oh, is Diet Pepsi okay? I tell them, no, no Diet Pepsi is not okay. I'll I'll have a water. Thank you very much. I will drink water for this meal. I do not need your Pepsi. If I ask for Diet Coke and they bring me a Diet Pepsi and just try to play it off like it's the same thing, I will ask for that Diet Pepsi to get removed from my bill because I'm not drinking it. I will know the second I take a sip, and I am not drinking that Diet Pepsi. So this is a big deal to me. And Regal, I know I'm not going to make much of a difference. I, with my, I go to the movies roughly 100 times a year. Probably 50 of those times are at a Regal. So 50 times the 100 or so dollars that you have to spend on a popcorn and a soda nowadays it's not going to make a big dent. It'll make a little bit of a dent when I don't buy anything anymore at your theaters, but it's not going to make the biggest dent in the world. I'm not going to change anything. But Regal, what the hell are you doing? Like Coke and Pepsi, if you really have to bring Pepsi into the fold. Pepsi? Oh, it's, it's a sad day for movies, let me just tell you that. Uh, really disappointed in Regal Cinemas. I'm probably going to look into Cinemark as my backup plan to uh, augment my AMC where I see most movies. But uh, I also had the Regal Unlimited because uh, I can't always go to AMC. And then, of course, those indie films. But, yeah, I think I might get rid of Regal Unlimited because uh, I don't want to give them money. I mean, I'll have to go for some movies. Like, you know, there's a handful of movies through the year that I'm only going to be able to see at a Regal. But... 
I'm going to go out of my way to see stuff at AMC and Cinemark because screw that. That's, that's bullshit. Really? Pepsi? It's disgusting. All right. Now that I'm done ranting about that, uh, I do want to uh, remind you about two things. So first of all, we have a Patreon. Um, I don't I do not do too much with it yet. I, I've been saying that for months now. Still don't. But I just this morning posted our episode on Parasite, which is, I know, one of the biggest movies of 2019, the most talked about movies. I know a lot of people wondered if we'd do an episode on it. We finally did an episode on it. Actually recorded it this morning. And it is up early. It's going to be up on the main feed, of course, uh, the day that Parasite hits VOD, which I believe is January 28th. So it'll be like right around there. Uh, but I wanted to put it up early as a special thing for anyone who is a patron. So, uh, you know, sign up for our Patreon. You could also get the uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot episode, which is up there now. And as soon as I finish it up, I'm going to be finishing up episodes that are already in the can on uh, Jojo Rabbit. And, uh, oh, and not in the can yet, but we're recording it tomorrow on Cats. So those two, as soon as they're done, I'm going to throw them up in there. And then they're going to hit our main feed, you know, eventually in some form of an order over the next month or so. But uh, you can get them early in the Patreon. So I do want to remind you, join that Patreon if you enjoy the show. I want to, you know, throw a couple bucks to support our way. There's some good levels that you can, uh, you know, subscribe to and uh, support the show, you know. Uh, also, speaking of supporting the show, I would love it if you'd support the new show that I am producing. It is called All Rice, No Beans. It's right here on the All Points West Network. Uh, I am not on mic on this one. You will not hear me on All Rice, No Beans, but I do everything behind the scenes from planning to recording to editing to producing to posting it uh all right snow beans it is a wonderful new podcast hosted by stephanie barajas from lindo michoacan a mexican restaurant here in las vegas it is all about the restaurant industry and life in it uh on it stephanie interviews her dad about his experiences building the brand of lindo michoacan from the ground up and and he's a mexican immigrant so uh, it's, it's a great story from that angle, but then also, uh, she also interviews other restaurant owners about their stories, their struggles in the restaurant industry. And then we bring it all together as to how those stories all combine. And, you know, it, it's a great, great look into an industry that quite frankly, I don't think is really being looked at on a lot of other podcasts. So, Please check out All Rice, No Beans. The first uh, trailer episode went up this week, but coming up on Monday is the first official full-length episode of the show. Really hoping you guys check it out, and I hope you enjoy it. it. It's a great show. Also happened this week, the other podcast that I produced, Awesome Movie Year, hosted by Josh Bell, who was on this episode, uh, him and Jason Harris. It is entering its third season the season of 1989, they kicked it off with Tim Burton's Batman, which was the box office champ for the year, and uh, it's a great show. I know a lot of people from my Piecing It Together listener base have checked it out. I hope you continue to check it out. Uh, those guys, they do a really great deep dive into movies. They research the crap out of those things, and they they, they really go into it deep, and it, it's really fascinating to listen to, and they've got some great episodes lined up this season, so... Make sure to check out Awesome Movie Year. So, 
that does it for today. It is the best of the decade, so I thought I should play a piece of music. You know, last time on the uh, best of 2019, I played my most popular song. I probably should have saved that for this one. That would have made a lot of sense, wouldn't it, Dave? Well, it's uh, too late for that because I already played Dreams Like These on the last one. I'm not going to play it again. So why don't I play another really popular track of mine, one that has been uh, listened to by, honestly, well over 100,000 people because of an incredible virtual reality music video that was made for the track uh, by a really talented team called New Line Videography. The track is called Constellations. The virtual reality music video is available on all the uh, virtual reality content market marketplaces, YouTube, all those kind of things. Uh, but Constellations is on my third album, Head Like Fire. It's available anywhere music is available. And I'm going to play that for you now. Um, I wonder if any of you listening are any of those 150 plus thousand people who uh, watched the VR video. That, that, would, that would be interesting to know. I don't think there's any way I could ever do a cross-section and figure that out. But it would be interesting to know. Anyway, this has been a long enough outro ramble, much longer than most of them, but it is the end of the decade, so, you know, I could talk a little longer. So, new regular episode of Piecing It Together coming up next week, along with the first episode of All Rice, No Beans, more episodes of Awesome Movie Year, new episode of Bird Road while we're at it, and uh, I want to thank you all so much for listening. Let's watch a whole lot more movies in this new decade and cover them all, or at least most of them, on Piecing It Together.
and All Points West. Thank you.